0: Welcome to Authentic Moments. Listen in as we engage in conversations about a range of topics surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion. These conversations are meant to educate, inform, and feed curious minds, all part of how Cone Health is right here with you.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Authentic Moments. My name is Ricardo Davis. I'm a senior patient experience manager of Cone Health. Today's topic is health equity and healthcare disparities. And with me today, I have two of my colleagues, and I'll let them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about your role within our system. Laura, we'll start with you.
0: Thanks, Ricardo, and I'm so glad to be connected with you again through this um, platform. so we've, we've been connected through some other DEI work in the past. Um, I'm Laura Vale, and I am the system-wide director for health equity, and um, joined here today by um, one of my colleagues, Erwin Madrid. Erwin, you want to introduce yourself?
2: Absolutely. Hi, everyone. My name is Erwin Madrid, and I am the coordinator for interpreter services uh, for the Cohen Health System.
1: And so, our, our, our purpose for the day is, is sort of near and dear uh, to my heart. Um, I also serve as the chair for our Black and African American Healthcare Network Group, um, which is commonly known as Bangs, one of our inclusion network groups. And and part of our mission is to address healthcare disparities within and within our organization and in our greater community. So. We know that good health extends beyond the walls of the hospitals and medical offices and that there are a number of other factors that can influence patient care and wellness. Uh, So our topic today is really gonna be to explore some of those social determinants of health and how disparities in healthcare might arise. And so I wanna start with our first question and and I'm gonna wanna send this to you, Laura. Um, Can you define health disparities and the social determinants of health?
0: Yeah, Ricardo, I think terms are so important. And um, so before we even jump into health disparities and social determinants out, I think just really defining health equity, right? And so at Cone, we use the um, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation definition that they they came up with for health equity. And that's just that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. And so I think that it's important for us to, um, you know, to to use that as our context for this conversation is that, um, you know, when we talk about health disparities, often we're talking about something that's measurable in a clinical setting. Like we can measure one population and say they had better outcomes, measure another population and quantify, that for whatever reason, they have lower health outcomes, worse health outcomes. So um, often, you know, the connection point here is then often, why are they having, you know, poor health outcomes, lower health outcomes? So it has to do with uh, resources, maybe resources in the community, social, um, social vulnerability, risk scores, things like that. And so those are the I think the things that we want to, you know, get at the heart of today is um, our team. Um, So Irwin's on my team. Our team works primarily on things that are at the community level, things that we can impact at the community level. And um, so those would be the the social drivers and the structural drivers um,
1: of health. Can you give some examples of the social determinants um, of health? and how are these factors assessed?
2: The social determinants of health are basically outlined in five key areas. You've got your healthcare access and the quality of it, your education access, the social and community context, the economic stability, and then the neighborhood and that built environment. So the first one um, is the healthcare access and the quality of the the healthcare they have access to. And what we have done at Cone Health is basically drawn and we use data-driven analyses to create maps to kind of show where we have clinics, where are our vulnerable populations. And a couple of years ago, we actually realized that there was a community that didn't have um, a clinic. Um, The the example that comes to mind uh, that Cone did was we installed a clinic, Renaissance Family Medicine in the middle of that community that didn't have access to healthcare that um, on the same line also didn't have uh, food security. We're going into the communities where we're most needed um, by deploying mobile clinics Um, Another big category um, that's kind of dear to me um, as a parent, it's education access and the quality of uh, of education that our kids have access to our children. Um, A lot of times, uh, our lower resource communities have a lower quality education um, and it's something that's been kind of institutionalized, I feel like, because of politics from 60 years ago. So I, I know that we're working on it, but we're not where we need to be um, in terms of our literacy scores and the type of education that our kids are are having.
1: So I don't, I don't live in Greensboro. We live in Forsyth County, um, but in in doing some volunteer work with the food bank, um, learned that. Our food insecurity in Forsyth County is probably about four to five percent higher than what the average is for the state of North Carolina. We're at about twenty percent, um, which is essentially, you know, for for children that are going to school with my son, is one in five, one in one out of every five of his classmates um, is facing some type of food insecurity. And so I, I think, uh, you know, connecting the dots, the impact that food and security has on their education and, and, and how well they're able to learn. And so a lot of these, these issues are interwoven. Um, and so with that being said, Laura, I, I wanna bring something to you. Um, why is addressing the role of social determinants of health so important and what are some of the ways that, that you believe we can overcome those barriers?
0: You know when we so we look at a lot of research and um, some of what we look at is the county health rankings and you know what are what influences our health right and so for all of us right we have if we look at it in terms of okay 100 is i'm healthy so 80 of what makes me healthy is all the things that happen outside of clinical care so clinical care is super important that we get it right. And and so we spend a lot of time on like how do we not have variation in treatment? How do we you know how do we train ourselves on bias and the influence that could have on our caregiving and things like that? But at the end of the day, eighty percent of my health, your health, Irwin's health, right? Eighty percent of our health is really made up. By the things that are outside. So all the things Erwin just listed, you know, those are the things that can influence my health dramatically. Is there safety in my neighborhood? Is it do I have um, a roof over my head? Do I have food to eat, like you're talking about? So it's really important that we begin to, you know, am I engaged in physical activity? And sometimes that depends on the safety around me. And so I think it's so important that as a health system, we see that. It's our responsibility. It's not a nice thing to do. It's really our responsibility. If we're going to transform the health of our communities, um, we have to be willing to get outside of the walls. And so I think we see things um, in our health system now. The congregational nursing program is a great example of a program that's been in existence for a long time that gets outside the walls. Um, More recently, we've added a fleet of mobile units right? So we get into the community, we get outside of our own walls. And, um, and by doing that, we understand what is the inequity. So Erwin referenced the redlining. And I think we just, we have communities that have, you know, it's a system approach, right? And so the system was set up to disadvantage certain groups of people and it has done that and we see that 80 years later so that was a program in the 30s we see that 80 years later we still have people who have lower health outcomes that live within these areas that were intentionally redlined so I think um, you know food is a really tangible example to talk about and I'm glad you talked about what you're seeing in Forsyth County I know in Guilford County we talk about that there. are approximately 26 different food deserts. And and it's just so important that we begin to see as a health system, we not only have the power and the resources to address this, but we have a responsibility to address um, food insecurity. And so Erwin referenced um, the market over at the Med Center for Women. And um, it's a tremendous opportunity for us to, um, work with women, primarily women who are pregnant, right, who um, need food, need food to grow that baby, need food for themselves, for their own health, and, um, and so it's a great, you know, a great step for our health system into addressing that. It's only been open for about five months, and um, we pulled the data the other day. It served over 400 women, so I think you know there's a need for this and um, and a chance for us to influence the health of this mom and in you
1: know, the baby. I'm gonna bring up something that I know everyone is ready for it to go away, <laughs> and hopefully it, it we are nearing that. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a question regarding COVID-19, um, and Erwin, I'm gonna address this towards you. Um, we know that. Uh, COVID 19 exacerbated a lot of the disparities in healthcare. Um, Can you talk about how social determinants are related specifically to disparities when it comes to healthcare?
2: So, absolutely, I I can talk a little bit about that. And I think this would be a good time to bring up that um, I'm part of an employee network group called Unidos. It's it's the newest one to the organization. And I am the co community resource chair or the community co-resource chair. Um, and it, it, it's a, it's a good time to talk about when we first started like our vaccination process to make sure everybody was inoculated against COVID. We as a system and really in general, our population, it, the, the Latinos, the black people, the, Asians as well. We very much struggled to, to get the ball moving and convincing people to come over and get vaccinated. Even though there was research that, that kind of showed there was a, a, a very good vaccine that was very effective. Um, and it was very effective at avoiding hospitalizations. And we started looking at our census and we started saying, we have a very small percentage of this community being represented in Guilford County, yet it was making up about 30, 40% of our admitted patients in our COVID hospital. So that kind of got us thinking, we need to strategize and build trust in that community and go to that community to to, to ensure that they know what COVID is, what we're doing to, to stop the spread, and you know, we actually linked up with some of the people over at the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Um, we teamed up. We were able to do vaccination clinics. We were able to actually get vaccines and take them straight to the uh, affected communities, whether they be the Mont York community, the Latinos community, or the Black communities. We literally took a van with. X amount of vaccines and we just showed up and we went to where the people were. Um, And these social determinants, the the biggest one that was affected here was that access to care and also going to their community, which is something I missed uh, a little bit ago, but essentially one of the social determinants as well is the neighborhood and built environment. And as Laura mentioned earlier, we have neighborhoods that have higher rates of violence. Um, they may have unsafe air or water or other health and safety risks. And we know that racial and ethnic minorities are, the, are people with low income are more likely to live in places with these risks. Um, so what we're doing is trying to go in that community and providing care where they need it most.
1: So let me, as we're we're looking at um, the work and, and the partnership in addressing um, and overcoming certain barriers, um, Laura, I, I would like for you to talk about some about um, Cone's new Center for Health Equity, and some of the work that it's doing to address social determinants and and, and disparities in care, in um, in what impact you expect for this um, center for health equity to have on our community at large
0: so i think you know the center for health equity at cone health is fairly new it started last november Um, dr priest is our chief for that center and um, and he created within that center four different components so there's a care component, which is really about the clinical. So when we were talking about health disparities earlier, we're thinking about things that can be measured in the clinical setting. Um, the caring, right, so not, not a big uh, change in words, but caring is really what our team does, and that is the community engagement. It's the social determinant of health work it's, um, Erwin was talking about access, so it's transportation, you know, sometimes it's going to the place, like with the mobile units, sometimes it's our transportation team that brings the people to the, um, to the ambulatory site, you know, to the physician practice or or to the hospital. Um, So then there's also the cultural competence, and that's really our DEI work, right, that we're all connected to, so I think um, that's the, the work about, like, where we examine ourselves and we make sure that within our system, you know, that we don't have these places where there's un- there, you know, there's an unintended system in place or institutional racism, we sometimes call that, where certain groups are being oppressed. So, um, and then the last one, the last C is curiosity. And so curiosity is research. And it's because at the end of the day, if we are doing this work well, um, we should be publishing it we should be pushing that information out through our research channels. Um, we should be connected with community groups that um, are involved in getting grants and doing this research, and with our um, educational partners. You know, our um, we're involved with A and and with U N C G and um, other partners that are um, that are helping us to really take this and treat it as this. There's a form of research going on. That could change things um, for other institutions as well.
1: I'm excited, one, that it, it is open and looking forward to not just the work that I know that's going to come out of the center, um, but what partnerships we're able to form, you know, with, with our inclusion network groups and, and um, our community partners. So I know you, you touched on disparities that the, the Center for Health Equity is talking about. So can you can you dive in a, a few specific examples of the disparities and and some that we see I know Erwin mentioned some earlier that we see more related to race um, or sexual orientation as an example?
0: Yeah, one that we worked on that um, a lot of our employees might be familiar with because it came out in our caring for each other, emails, right. One that um, a lot of folks would be aware of is we did some pneumonia work. And so that was really under this care. So when we think about the four C's and the Center for Health Equity under care, really this clinical care, it started with a mortality um, committee that was meeting and, and then they stratified their data and they said, wow, a lot of the mortality might be related to pneumonia. So then they stratified that data and they said, wow, you know, there's a racial health disparity at play here. And so um, they looked at all kinds of um, components that were within that, right? That that were potential levers that we could pull and change. And um, some of it involved cultural competency, right? Training for the respiratory therapist, training for the medical executive committee members, Um, our physician partners. And so it really, it took some awareness and training there in order to change it. But also I think it took a lot of, um, you know, just communication with our team members. Um, So our DEI partners were fantastic and being able to push that out. Um, You know, I think about at the end of the day, we'd love to publish this work because we've changed some protocols and we've seen um, all of the indicators that were along the way we've seen all of them move in the right direction so one was um, we've decreased the number of hours from uh, until you get the first antibiotic. so we looked at black patients and white patients and our black patients are now getting um, their antibiotic seven hours sooner, right? From admission to that first antibiotic. And there were lots of other procedural things. We know that order sets are being checked more. Um, there was a nudge that was built into the record to just help the caregivers know, hey, this person's at risk for um, for an adverse outcome.
1: And I think a lot of what you talked about sort of goes into the next question that I was gonna ask. Um, which was to to talk about some of the system changes that need to happen in order for us to help mitigate these disparities.
0: Yeah, all right, Erwin, I'm going to talk about one, and you may want to add in here. Um, So when we were doing some testing out in the community, COVID testing out in the community, um, we had partners over in the, um, you know, in the IT world that, that helped us because we needed information to be pushed out in Spanish. So we, um, and and here's the problem was it was being pushed out in English and there was this little tiny line at the top, like if you speak Spanish, you could click here. But we were aiming, these particular um, events were aimed at Spanish speaking people. And so we were like, wait, we need to flip this. We right. need to have lead with Spanish and have it in the little tiny print. If you speak English, click here. And so um, so that was a system change. And really, our IT partners were fantastic. Um, but we were able to flip that and to be able to um, to have a system change there.
2: Yeah, I, I've got a, a system improvement that we've done as well uh, for the limited English proficiency patients. Um, and again, th- this is more. uh clinical staff-based improvements to help identify. Uh, For example, if a patient needs an interpreter or they speak a certain language, uh, we've updated on uh, Epic to where there's a nice yellow, big flag that says, hey, this patient speaks this language and they do need an interpreter. And those are just examples of something that we're trying to do to help alleviate um, the stress of identifying what your patient needs may be. Um, Another, improvement that comes to mind or, or just kind of keeping our community uh, in our mind, as Laura just mentioned, sometimes we have events that are completely in Spanish. And I know that when we had the FEMA supported vaccination center, we actually partnered with a local with the Hispanic Federation is what it was. And they took all of the phone calls to register patients for appointments. So basically everyone who called for that Spanish event would have a Spanish speaker on the other line to help register them.
1: Yeah, well, I wanna thank both of you for um, not only participating in this conversation and, and sharing some of the wonderful work that's being done. I'm proud to be a part of an organization that is taking such proactive steps in um, addressing health equity, health disparities, social determinants of health, and uh, doing what is probably needed most, which is meeting people where they are, right? Because we, we can't always wait for them to come to us with the issue, but us going out, knowing what the issue is, and, and meeting our population and our communities where they are. So, I want to thank you both for the excellent work. Thank you for joining me today. Um, and I, I think that this has been a great, authentic moment and look forward to working with both of you on these future initiatives. Thanks,
0: Ricardo. And thanks for your leadership and Bang and for Erwin and for his leadership with the UNIDOS. And I just think that, um, I, I just appreciate the support that DEI gives our, our organization for this work.
2: I just wanna say one more thing before we go <laughs> off the air because I, I just wanna highlight the important work that the Center for Health Equity does. And I just wanna throw some, some quick bullet points to give you an idea of what we're doing. In 2021, we covered over 78,000 appointment requests that for patients who needed interpreter services. We helped cover care for over 56,000 uninsured patients in the last year. And then as Laura mentioned, over 12,500 rides uh, for patients who needed transportation. And again, over 400 women who had been served with groceries in, in the food market that opened just five months ago. These are all just examples of what makes me proud to be part of Cone Health. And we should all really be excited to see what the future holds.
0: Thank you for listening to Authentic Moments. To hear more episodes and receive information about our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts at Cone Health, click the link to visit our SharePoint site.